May the words I speak and the words we hear be your words of life to us, our God. Amen. Don't you hate it when you lose something? When I was in South Africa three years ago, uh, I was staying out of Simonstown, which is about an hour's train journey from Cape Town, and it was a 10-minute walk from the train station into the town centre. And on the second to last night, it was dark by the time I got there. I'd been warned not to be out after dark. It was okay during the day, but after dark it would get a bit dodgy, uh, particularly in Cape Town. And I was walking briskly back when it started to rain, so I quickly pulled off my backpack and pulled out my jacket and put it on and put my backpack on, all without breaking stride. I was very proud of myself for the way I'd done it. The next day was another cold day. I was there at a really cold time, and like there was snow on Table Mountain, so it was cold. And I couldn't find my beanie anywhere. I was trying to think, where's this beanie? And then I remembered the beanie had been sitting on top of the raincoat in the backpack. And when I pulled the coat out, the beanie had come out with it. Now, I really liked this beanie. It was warm. It looked good on me. I looked good in it. Uh, but also, it was a gift from an event that I'd helped run a few years earlier. Uh, an event that I uh, had played a pretty significant role in both planning and organising and running. And uh, I thought it was a really good event. So I was proud of the event and it had lots of good memories about it. And it was from the group of people that I had worked with to run that event. And it had been an ecumenical group that I'd been part of in my national role for about seven or eight years. So uh, it brought back the memories of those people as well. So I'd had a whole lot of memories attached to it as well as being quite a nice beanie. So I was gutted, but I could think, this is where I was when I took the raincoat out of my backpack. Maybe it'll still be there. So I went back, I walked up and down the road, I checked the gutters, checked the fence line, I went over the fences and checked the other side, I went to the other side of the road, checked all along there. I spent about an hour looking for that beanie, and I did not find it. And I still feel the loss of that, the loss of that beanie, and all that it represented. It sucks when you lose something like that. My one consolation is that, my hope is that one of the homeless people that was sleeping in the doorways to the shops uh, found it and that it kept them warm for a long time during those cold nights and during the day as well. A better story, I'm not sure he's going to be happy that I'm telling the story, but nonetheless was my son's 21st. And uh, after we'd had a party at our place, he went into town, as you do, with his friends. But he took his wallet with him, stuffed full of the money that he'd been given for his 21st present. Which wasn't a great idea. He wasn't thinking too clearly at that point, clearly. About three or four in the morning, we got a phone call from him wanting one of us to go and pick him up. He tried walking home and he was on the mount side of the Harbour Bridge and had given up and he needed, it was cold and he was tired and he needed somebody to go and pick him up. And I went down to pick him up. I do those kind of things at night. And when I got to him, he was a pretty sad figure. He had lost his wallet. Now, it was somewhere in the tussock grass between the bridge and where I picked him up, which was around about where the toll booth used to be. So it was quite a big area. So I put him in the car. And it was still pretty dark, but the moon was out. So I went and I walked all the way down almost to the bridge along the road, in the footpath there looking and trying to see it there and then I walked back 
zigzagging through the tussock grass, kicking it, bending low, looking underneath, with this growing sense of hopelessness and despair, thinking this is futile. How can I do this at night? And then, about halfway back, there it was, his wallet sitting in the grass. So I was able to pick it up, take it back to him. I tell you what, there was such relief and joy, especially from him, if it hadn't been four in the morning, we may have had a party just to celebrate. But I think we'd had enough party at that point, so we just went home. You will all have your own stories of losing things, stories about the sense of loss, the search, the pain of failure, and the euphoria and relief of success. And I want you to hang on to those stories for a moment. Despite what we heard last week about the cost of discipleship and how hard that is, Jesus was still pretty popular. And all kinds of people were coming to hear him and to see what the fuss was all about. There were lots of poor people. They seemed to get what he was on about. But there were also lots from the leadership, all kinds of levels. They were coming, they were intrigued, some were interested in what he had to say, some were worried about what he was saying, and some were opposed to what he was saying, and they just wanted to keep an eye on him. And there were quite a number of the religious leadership as well who were keeping a very close eye on him, the scribes and the Pharisees. But there were also a number of people who rabbis just weren't supposed to spend a lot of time with. Tax collectors. People who made money out of imposing poverty on others. Their wealth was because they overtaxed everyone else. And not only that, not only did they inflict poverty on other people, their country folk, but they were collaborators with Rome. So collaborators are never popular people, are they? So these are not popular people here. And sinners, which includes prostitutes. So enough said. Rabbis, religious people are not supposed to spend time with these kinds of people. But Jesus is not only letting them hang around, but it would appear he is eating with them and Worse, inviting them to come and eat with him. Now, I've said this before, but when in that world, when you eat with someone, that bestows honour and blessing on them. You are honouring them as people and you are blessing them. Well, people weren't happy about that. People didn't think that tax collectors and prostitutes and other sinners were the kind of people that should be honoured or blessed. To be honest, I think many of us would have a problem with this. And so the religious leaders started to murmur. That's the, what the Greek word says, murmur. And it's a pretty serious murmuring that's going on here. It's the same Greek word that's used in the Greek Old Testament to describe the murmuring against Moses when people had had enough of being on the in the wilderness. So it's pretty serious murmuring and grumbling. What Jesus is doing 
is beyond the pale, beyond what is accepted and safe and life-given. Well, Jesus is a pretty switched-on guy, and he can hear the murmuring in their tone of voice and in their body language and in the dirty looks that he's getting. So he tackles it head-on, and he does what he normally does, which is he doesn't lecture them, he doesn't give a lengthy sermon, something I'm still working on, but he tells three stories, of which we heard the first two today. The first two, uh, and so they are the stories of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and a story which was plucked out of its context and we heard a few months ago, the story of the lost sons. So those three are supposed to be packed in together. It's quite hard for me to stop at that point because the story kind of rolls on. Um, and for some reason the lectionary writers have said, oh no, we'll pull these apart. Anyhow, the three stories work together to make his point. In a sense, the first two, the lost sheep and the lost coin of the introduction, and the story of the lost sons is where the real point is made. It drives the point home. So it is a great pity that the lectionary writers have decided to separate them and put them in diff different parts of the year even. Anyhow, then Jesus tells the first story and he starts off by saying, which of you having a hundred sheep? That's a good place to start, isn't it? You can just imagine them thinking, whoa, a hundred sheep. I mean, the poor people, man, if I had a hundred sheep, I'd be so wealthy. I'd be right up here at the top of the social thing. And even the scribes and Pharisees, hundred sheep is not to be sneezed at. That's pretty rich. But then he goes on, and losing one of them, oh, okay, I don't own a hundred sheep, I'm looking after a hundred sheep. Well, that's an entirely different kettle of fish, that's shepherd material. So, owning a hundred sheep up here on the social ladder, shepherd to a hundred sheep, that's way down here in the social status. So, kind of, that's a little disappointing for people. And then, well, what happens when you lose a sheep? You go and find it. That's what shepherds do. They put the other sheep in a safe place and then they go and find the lost sheep. You don't lose your sheep. And if you're still reasonably close to the village, people are going to be able to see that you're out there trying to find your sheep. Because all these sheep are kept in the village overnight, mostly, unless you're far away from the village. And they can hear you and they can see the lights. And so when you find the sheep and you come back into town and... People know that you've found the sheep. There's a party. People gather with you and you celebrate that you've lost, that you lost the sheep and then you've found it and that all the sheep have been restored. That's a big thing. Now, in telling the story, Jesus then adds this really interesting bit, which kind of confuses us, I think. Just so I tell you, there, are, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. For some reason, that line immediately changes our focus from the joy of finding the sheep and the celebration to the importance of repentance. And a number of the commentaries I read talked about the importance of repentance and kind of left out the joy and the celebration. And a number of the commentaries I read pointed out how often we 
kind of immediately lose sight of what Jesus is talking about, which is, if we remember our own stories, the joy and the celebrating of finding what was lost. That's the point. And if it was about repentance, well, that kind of raises a really interesting question, doesn't it? Who repented in the story? Did the sheep repent of being lost? I don't know if sheep can repent. Did the shepherd repent for losing the sheep? Maybe. Maybe his repentance was looking for the sheep. Did the tax collectors and sinners repent? Well, actually, there's no mention in the introduction that the tax collectors and sinners were repenting. They were simply coming near to listen. Sure, in other parts, Luke talks about Zacchaeus, the tax collector, repenting, and the woman, the prostitute, who, well, the woman who was a sinner, washing Jesus' feet with her tears in her hair and repenting. But in this particular part, there is no mention of repentance, just coming near to listen. So why did Jesus add this? Or did Luke just add it later on, because it seemed to make sense? Whatever, don't let that line distract you. This is a story about the importance of celebrating, not about the importance of repentance. Just not to say that repentance isn't important, it's just that that's not the point of the story. So then Jesus kind of goes on and tells another story about a woman who loses a coin. Now it has been suggested by some of the people I read that ten silver coins for a poor person, or even a not quite so poor person, is a significant amount of money. And that Jesus' hearers would have understood that this was her dowry. So in losing one of those coins, not only has she lost some money, bad enough, but she has lost some of her family's honour, cataclysmic, and prospects for the future. The kind of husband you can get kind of depends on the size of your dowry. So to have 10 silver coins means you're going to get a better marriage than 9 silver coins. It's like when you're buying a car, the amount of money, the amount of features you get. So that's what's at stake here. Her prospects for the rest of her life are at stake with the loss of this coin. This is a life-changing loss. So she pulls out all the stops to find it. She cleans the place. She even uses her precious light. So we assume that everyone had candles and, and, uh, and um, little oil lamps and things, but actually lots of people didn't. Candles weren't as common as they are today. You couldn't go down to the shop to buy them. Um, you couldn't buy them in bundles of 12. Uh, they were a lot scarcer than they are today, and so lots of people didn't have them. So once it got dark, it was kind of it. And... Uh, and if you did have them, you looked after them. So to use a candle or any other source of light for a poor person was a big deal. So this is a really big deal. And she finds the lost coin. Now, when she finds it, the prudent thing for her to do would, would be to give a little quiet woohoo and quietly put the coin back in the bag and just pretend that it was never lost. Like nothing has happened. But she risks shaming herself and tells everyone of her folly. I was really silly. I lost part of my dowry. But I found it and it's all good. And she does that 
so that they might share in her joy and they might celebrate with her. Again, a story about a really, really, really big loss and the angst of the search and the joy and the euphoria of finding the coin, restoring hope and honour and her future, and it's time to party. And then Jesus again talks about repentance, and we forget about all of that, and we moralise again about the importance of repentance. But again, who repents? The coin? The woman? No mention of any repentance in the story. It's all about losing something, finding it, having a party. And then, we didn't hear it this morning, but we need to talk about it. Jesus goes on and he tells the story of the lost sons. The lost sons. Both are lost. Both fail in their obligations. Both are lost in their sense of self-entitlement and self-importance. And Jesus finishes the three stories which began with people murmuring and grumbling because he was eating with tax collectors and sinners by saying, Son, you don't understand. You are with me all the time and everything that is mine is yours. But this, this is a wonderful time and we had to celebrate. This brother of yours was dead and he's alive. He was lost and he has he is found the point jesus makes at the end of the three stories is not about the importance of repentance it's about celebrating and the need to celebrate these stories are told because the scribes and the pharisees and others in the crowd were not happy about jesus spending time with tax collectors and sinners They could not see the need for them to be anywhere near him, to be part of what was going on, and they certainly could not see the need to celebrate. They were unwilling to celebrate that these people were also interested in what Jesus was on about. They were much more concerned with keeping things in the pale. But Jesus is not concerned about keeping things in the pale. Jesus is concerned about everyone being included. And so he makes that possible. He eats with people he's not supposed to eat with them. He honours and blesses people who he is not supposed to honour and bless. And in doing so, just as with the father in the third story, they begin to see that they too are loved by God and are given the opportunity to repent. Just like the young youngest son repents not because not before his father offers love but after after his father has run to hug him after his father has run which men are not supposed to do after he has got there before the villagers and has hugged him and has restored him to his sonship and has placed him back in the family then then the son repents I began with my own stories of loss, and I invited you to place your stories alongside mine. And as we hear these stories of loss, we are invited to place our stories alongside the stories that Jesus tells. 
In the midst of these stories of loss and searching and of celebration, we are invited to hear of God searching for us and our loss with the same commitment shown by the shepherd, with the same dedication and care shown by the woman, with the same patience and recklessness and love exhibited by the father in the third story. And our stories of finding and rejoicing invite us to join in the celebration in heaven and on earth on all for all who are found, even when they are beyond the pale. These are stories of the importance of celebrating, not the importance of repentance. Repentance is part of it, but it's not the point. The point is the importance of celebrating. Soon we will gather around this Eucharistic table. In that moment when we gather, we will be invited to remember the times that Jesus sat and ate with those who were beyond the pale. And we are invited to do the same thing. In many ways, we should take away these altar rails and all the rules and regulations which govern who can and cannot come and gather around this table. Because when we remember what Jesus did, he didn't have rules and regulations. He ate and drank with people who were well beyond the rules and regulations, well beyond the pale, people who he should have kept far, far away. And yet, he invited them in. And when we have the Eucharist, we are invited to do exactly the same thing, to invite all in to gather around the table. And when we gather around this table, we are also invited to join in a celebration, a celebration that is already happening in heaven and on earth. This is a time for us to celebrate, to be filled with joy. We are invited to join together in a full-blown party in which we celebrate. We celebrate that we are sought and pursued and found. We celebrate that we are part of the searching of God. Because that is what is at the heart of the reign of God. And so I invite you today and every time you come to the Eucharistic table to bring that same sense of joy and euphoria you find you have when you find something that is lost. That is what we are doing when we come to this table. Today and every time we join the Eucharist. <laughs>